I'm Wiley Kuhn. I'm here today with Brian Husky, an Army veteran uh, who currently works in the Albany Public School System, teaching refugees and immigrant children uh, in the high school system, and who has started his own after-school learner-centered program. So uh, I guess my first question, let's, I guess we'll start with your background, which is, so how did you come to be involved specifically with like learner-centered education? Sure, yeah, it was, uh, it's actually, I guess you could go back to even when I was in elementary school, uh, up until third grade, school was all right, and then after third grade, uh, I really, I struggled, uh, I struggled, I just didn't like school, honestly, like I didn't want to be there, I didn't get along with other students, I didn't like being told what to do with, with, the, with the teachers, but I think, uh, and that persisted all the way through high school, in high school I found football, and that gave me a reason for, for going to school, but besides that, uh, it just didn't really fit like um, I didn't feel natural in school um, and and it wasn't that I it wasn't that I didn't like learning I loved learning and I loved uh, go, when I was a kid I'd, I'd spend a lot of time I, I grew up in a very small town so I'd spend a lot of time in the library and I spent a lot of time outside but um, that was it man I just wanted to be outside and I wanted to be reading books and I didn't I, I didn't feel right in the in the in the, in the schools um, but I also kind of liken it to and then, well and then when I was in sixth grade I got transferred and then I got transferred again and it was that sort of thing um but I kind of liken it to being in a in a fishbowl where like you only know the water that you're in so uh, I don't think my parents had any kind of uh understanding of homeschooling or anything like that or you know what what we call self-directed learning now um and I certainly didn't and so um, and even college, college was, by the time I was done with high school, I, the last thing in the world I wanted to do was go to college, but uh, my parents really encouraged me to do that, so I did it for, for a little bit and um, eventually dropped out and, 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 you know, I joined the National Guard because I felt, for, for a lot of reasons, but part of the reason was because I, I felt like I wasn't accomplishing anything. Um, you know, I, I felt like I wasn't successful in a lot of areas of my life and that was something that I could really, I felt like I could really do. A lot of my family was in the military. Um, that sort of thing. That, that was that was the thing. I wanted to accomplish something, um, but still, self-directed learning, homeschooling, all that sort of thing wasn't on my radar. Um, after the military, I got out. I said, okay, what wh what I want to do is school kind of sucks, but I want to make it. Uh, I, you know, I, I felt like I could join the ranks of teachers, and uh, and and do things that are very interesting for students and ease the suffering of our young. So. I became a teacher, and, uh, and and I did just that, and I think I was uh, fairly successful at doing it. Uh, except for I, I did start, I, I did notice that I was successful for maybe like I don't know seventy or eighty percent of my students, and there was always a portion of my students who were suffering uh, w with the things that I chose to do in class because students, at the end of the day, they were still working to achieve my goals for them. Uh, and and it, it took a while because again it's like like that same metaphor of being a fish in the water like you don't see other waters and so it just wasn't something it was like the matrix it just wasn't something that I could really conceptualize or or, or wrap my brain around um, this self-directed learning or, or education outside of school kind of thing uh, and it wasn't until so I was sort of I don't know I guess maybe spiritually or mentally I was sort of living that self-directed life but I didn't I didn't have a name for it and I didn't see it in action. 
fast forward until I have my own kids and my oldest turns, he's seven now, but when he turned about three or four, we start looking at schools for him. And every time we went into a school looking, we were looking at private schools and public schools. And every time we went in, I just had this like icky feeling in my stomach, like this gross feeling, like I do not want to put my kid in this place. And it started also coming back to me, my own experience in school. Like, I don't know, this isn't something where I want to give my kid up to, but I didn't, really seriously consider homeschooling at that point either. My wife was staying home with the kids, um, but we didn't, that wasn't something that was really on our radar either. Um, and then I guess all of that sort of came together one night when uh, my wife was, was looking at some YouTube video and she showed me the YouTube video and it was like, she's like, oh, you really have to watch this. I listened to this last night and I looked at it, it's three hours long. I'm, I'm not listening to a three hour video. It's actually the day before the first day of school. I'm not watching a three-hour video, but it was, um, as many of your listeners know, John Taylor Gatto, and I said, all right, I'll listen to it. And I listened to this three-hour video, and I was like, what, like, that's it. That's exactly what it is. I was, like, feeling my all throughout school, all throughout college. That's exactly what I'm trying to bring to my own students in my, in my class, that there's this idea that students won't do it unless you force them to do it, and I think that's a poisonous idea. And then I, I start seeing that there's other examples where, like, there's other actual practical examples of uh, students who are homeschoolers, students who are at Sudbury, uh, Sudbury School or, or North Star Learning or all these other kinds of places where they're, they're doing it for real, like they're actually getting an education without, having, without being forced to have an education. And also, if I, I just add one more thing, in terms of you introduced me as, as someone who's teaching refugee kids, uh, with English language, we have regents exams in New York State, and so they have to pass five regents exams in order to in order to graduate. Usually, sometimes less, but usually five. They get double time on these tests, so the tests are normally three hours long. They become six hours long, and then they come to this country if they're 18 or 19 years old and they're just learning English. It shakes out that they're scheduled for, and this is not really the school district's fault because the kids have to graduate, but they wind up being scheduled for uh, 12 hours straight of testing. Uh, I've seen a kid scheduled for 24 hours of test. He didn't sit for 24 hours of test, but I, I have sat with kids from eight in the morning until after midnight uh, taking standardized tests. And to me, that was violence. That's like, it's child abuse. Like if a homeschool parent were to do that to their kid and then were reported to the school district, the school district would call CPS probably. It's like, it, it, and, and it happens every year. And I'm like, this is, there's gotta, there's something about this system where this might be the canary in the coal mine. It might not be always so, extreme but th this is an example of like the culminate the culminating effect of of top-down education so i just i put i threw my lot i just threw i, I threw everything in behind this uh self-directed learning uh philosophy you know so did you try you know when you're teaching these refugee kids who are, are new to the country uh, and they're in a very different place um you know distance wise and culturally and everything else um you know, when you saw them having to endure this huge amount of testing, um, you know, did you try and apply, you know, those learner-centered principles in in that classroom and with those students? And you know, how did how did that philosophy that you discovered reflect on how you you know were started helping them? Yeah. So there's two things going on there, really. There's there's the one thing is that they have to pass a test in order to graduate. So. Um, so there's that the best way and you know i don't know if some anyone's going to argue with me on this but the best way to pass the test is to study the test there's no real m secret 
to it, right? It's, you print out a whole bunch of practice tests and you just keep doing them over and over again. And it's not fun and it's not something that, uh, it's not something that uh, I would characterize as an education or getting an education, but that's, that's how you pass tests. Um, and then the other thing is just exactly what you said. So I, I, I sort of had to do both those things. Uh, what, I, what I did specifically with these students, I, I, have a, <laughs> I have a high tolerance for risk, I guess. So, and also, mm, I don't know if I want to say this out loud because some administrators going to hear it and start popping in my room, but usually I only get like one or two visits a year and they're, and they're announced, like maybe one unannounced visit. So really I'm doing whatever I want in my classroom most of the time. So uh, what I've done, one of the things I've done is uh, text selection. I actually base this on a book I read the Reading Zone by Nancy Atwell. She has a school. It's not exactly like a Sudbury school. It's not an unschooling kind of thing, but she adds an element of choice to a reading program where students choose whatever book they want to read and write about all year long. And she has a lot of, and she has the environment set up so there's books in front of them. And kids, uh, seventh and eighth grade kids are reading 30 and 40 books a year. So I, I, I tried to set something like that up. And I, have, uh, I had ESL students last, uh, the last couple of years who every Friday, that's, it would just be silent reading day. And, uh, and we would make it a point, like we'd take trips down to the library and I'd have a lot of books in my room and I'd just say, you can read anything you wanna read. You're gonna have to write about it and speak about it, but you can pick whatever book you want. Uh, I've, I've done it like that. They weren't reading 30 and 40 books, but they were reading five to 10 books on average, which was huge. Like, and I, and I even have a, I have a video where I interview some of them. And uh, on average, they were reading between zero and one books the, the year before. Uh, and so it was, I, it was a pretty, you know, it was a pretty good outcome. Uh, we've also done uh, so, uh, like checklists where, because I still have to put grades in the computer. And that's another thing that is a whole other can of worms that I, I, I don't like and rebel against and behind closed doors do all kinds of funny stuff. But uh, I just, you know, in terms of trying to incorporate self-directed learning, and still having to, um, still having to, uh, I guess, um, check off the boxes or, or meet the requirements of, of my employment, I, I gave them a sheet and I, well, no, back up time. <laughs> I actually, first of all, we brainstormed together. Okay, what are some activities that you would like to do that sort of English language arts related? And they would, and they would give me some ideas and then I would give them some ideas. And then we come up with this big old checklist and then we add some just arbitrary points next to them. And I say, okay, for the next two weeks, uh, you can do anything that's on the list. And then it turned into the place to look like a study hall, which is which I was a little bit biting my nails waiting for that that one visit a year to come, to come in. But uh, nobody ever bothered us. And they, they would come in and they would just go to work. And it was really cool. It was, uh, you know, they produced some really amazing stuff. I did that not just with my English language learners. I also did it with my American kids. And they produced some pretty amazing stuff. You always had some kids that treated it like it was a study hall. But if you kind of just set the tone then, then, then a lot. Of and to me, it was worth it anyway. It's like, all right, this is because if you, here's the pitfalls. If you have a list like that and you have a sheet like that, you're always going to have some kids that try to game it and just get the, because they've been sort of trained by this points thing. And they're like, okay, so I can get a 95%. Uh, if I just, if I just do X, Y, and Z and just check it off and not really learn anything. And I'm like, all right, well, you're, you're, I'll give you the 95. I really don't care, but you're selling yourself short. So like really take this opportunity because no other teacher is doing this for you. Like, look at this, like you can do almost anything if it has, if it even brushes elbows a little bit with English language arts. Okay. And so do that. And I give you the points. You can tell me what grade you want. I really don't care. It's, it's irrelevant to me. Like I, I really want to be a resource to you. I want this to be valuable for you. And I don't want to, 
um, I don't want to have to just skill and drill and lecture you. Like it, it doesn't, it's not interesting. It's not interesting for me. It's not interesting for you. It's not going to add value to your life and you're going to forget it as soon as the quiz is done. Absolutely. And that's excellent. And so now, now you run your own after school program now, uh, called Huskies Heroes and you know, you start your school and you have, uh, you run your school based on these, uh, kind of, you know, you, you call them like the seven assumptions, um, junto community service, personal projects, rhetoric, uh, and other activities. And so I just wanted to to talk a little bit about why you started the after school program, what it is, and then why you picked these specific things to focus on, you know, for these kids. Well, I started the program because I'm, I'm trying to wrap as you know, we made these decisions for our own kids and I'm also working with public school kids. I'm trying to wrap my brain around a way that uh, gives some resource to students who wish to leave school. Also a resource for people who are currently homeschooling. But really, really when I, when I was putting this thing together, I was thinking of all the kids that just, they, they, they would be able to leave school and have a much better experience, but they, they just don't have um, it's going back to the fishbowl thing. Like they're in this water and they haven't seen other waters. They've just never been hit with that matrix moment where they're like, Oh my God, there's all, all sorts of other things out there that we could be doing. This is not, this is, you know, you can say whatever you want about school, but it's a, it's a fact that it's not necessary for, for students anyway. Uh, it's, it's not a, it's not a requirement to get into college. It's not a requirement for, uh, to, for an education to be educated. Um, so, I, I want, you know, I don't know if I, I think of it as like a pressure release valve or something or like a, I, I don't know, some, some other place where they could go um, if, if they so chose. Um, and also, I, I guess it's, I formed it because I also want to show people that this is possible, that we don't, we don't need to have, you know, 22 credits and five regents exams and four years and 188 days per year and all, all this other stuff is, is just not, all of that is just not necessary, I guess, and and in, in many cases harmful. So I picked those elements. I guess <laughs> I guess in saying that we're, it's not necessary to have such a strict curriculum, and then I, I went and wrote a curriculum. But the way I thought about it was was this: I wanted the framework to be something where students would be involved in community, and so that they're rubbing elbows with people who are older and younger than them, that they're doing real work with um, and having real experience. Um, I wanted it to be, I, I modeled the Junto after something from Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, uh, which is, which is uh, a club of mutual improvement, which I just thought was, when I read that book, I just thought was amazing. Um, and so, I, and so I, I, I pretty much just lifted it from there. Um, and that's kind of what it, and that's kind of what the seminar has been. It's been this Socratic um, sort of place where we can, you know, for, for mutual improvement, for discussion, um, you know, podcasts are wildly popular. Uh, what is it? Ted talks are wildly popular. All those sorts of things are popular because they're interesting and because they are, um, in, in some cases there's, there's conversations and people can relate to them. People, you know, uh, I don't know if you listen to Joe Rogan's po- podcast, but a lot of those are like three hours long and he gets 30 million. I just read it this morning, 30 million downloads a month. It's like, these are not, if it's 30 million downloads a month, they're not all academics sitting there for three hours listening to his, and it's also not like a, what is it, Jerry Springer kind of thing either. These are like real topics that people are really talking about. And so the idea that students have to have, 
you know, in school we were taught like nothing goes longer than 10 minutes, like anticipatory set. And then you teach the lesson and then you release the lesson and then you assess the lesson and, and they're like, okay, well you have to, you have to structure it that way or else you're going to lose students attention and they're not going to be able to focus and they're not going to get good feedback. And it's like, well, how are all these things so popular? Right? Like you, you can have Socratic discussions where there's no, I must say no expectation. Uh, and I, I don't mean it in the sense that you know, students don't do anything, but there's no expectation in terms of assessment or grades or, or, or things like that. There's no expectation in terms of getting the right answer. I guess this, maybe that's a better way of saying it. Um, the expectation is just that you engage in some thinking and some discussion and, and we share each other's experiences so we can learn vicariously through them. And, and all of that kind of, it, it was tough. It was tough because I had a lot of ideas of what might be an education. And it's, it's you know, it takes a lot of, I think, thinking and writing and reflecting and talking to other people to decide exactly what to include and what not to include. Uh, and that's and so that's how I did it, and that's how I came to it. Excellent, very cool. And so I guess the biggest question then would be, you know, what do parents uh, and students, uh, you know, think of the school? And you know, like, what kind of changes have you have you seen in their lives, kind of based off of? you know, the effect that, you know, your after-school program is, is having in the activities that you engage in. Sure. So there's a, a couple of things going on there. I guess the one is the, the students I actually do have. Uh, one of them is a lifelong homeschooler. And so, but he had, I think he got great value, especially out of some of the guest speakers we had. We had, um, because I've been working with refugees for so long, I had a couple refugees come in and talk to them. And, and he was especially, I think, taken by their stories. And, and also he, you know, I think it was good for him to come in and, and have someone to bounce ideas off of and, and talk to. He's in a couple of college classes right now. He's 15 years old. So he, he's, you know, he's doing some grown up stuff and it's, it's, a, it's some pressure. He's feeling some pressure on himself. So it was good to be able to, to come into a, a, a place that was, I guess, structured as a, uh, a community for self-improvement to then bounce that idea off of. Now, the other one, uh, the girl was in public school. And she and her and her father, her parents are both um, just infinitely grateful for the opportunity to get get her because they didn't see really any other option. They work. They can't really homeschool her. Um, they they're familiar with it because they have some. That's how I met her through some other people who homeschool. Uh, so they're familiar with the process and they understand that it's a real thing. And that's I think that's the first huge hurdle. I'll talk about that in a second, but um, she, so she, so they understood that part of it, but they weren't sure how to execute it, and so that there was a there was a, a program in place where it could be executed, and she could come and she could uh, talk about what's going on in her life, and we could read articles and watch short videos and and discuss these things and and do what we can to improve ourselves, and also get out into the community and volunteer, and and just start feeling like you're accomplishing something worthwhile. And we're also thematic. And that's something I, I, you know, I didn't mention before. The, I, I, I tried to, we have all of these things in place, the structures in place, but then I have four different themes that we run through. And one of those themes is, uh, what is it? Discipline and responsibility. And so, so, you know, when you're in school, you don't really, you don't have real responsibility. Responsibility, to me, responsibility there's an element of consent to responsibility. There's an element of you have to pick some heavy thing up yourself. Uh, responsibility of doing your homework is just someone gave you a task to do and you have to do the task. So to have something that's, that's real that you can hold on to, that you're going to, that you chose yourself, that you're going to do yourself. It's, it's 
you know, responsibility is linked to efficacy. It's linked to self, um, you know, uh, what you call self-confidence, right? It's, it, I feel like it's tightly linked to self-confidence. Um, it's the other side of freedom. We have all this, you know, they're, they're 15 years old. They're going to be adults soon. They have the freedom to eat McDonald's every single day of their life if they want to. But that's the other side of that coin is that responsibility is that you, you can do the things that you want to do. And we talk a lot about freedoms and I'm, I'm definitely pro freedom, but um, you know, we have to talk about the other side of that coin too. We have what 30% obesity rates in this country and it, it's, you know, and debt is, that's another thing we really hammer too. debt is like, you have the, you definitely have the opportunity, the freedom, I guess you could call that to take out as many credit cards as you know, the bank will give you and they give you more than you can handle for sure. Uh, but you have to have that discipline and that responsibility to say, Hey, if I'm, you know, I have the freedom to do do this and I'm, you know, and I am going to do it or I'm not going to do it. I am going to go for a walk or exercise. I'm not going to eat McDonald's every single day of my life. And, and we really hammer home some, some of these principles. Um, and we, and we do so in just these, I guess, like I try to give them small exercises to do too, like wake, wake up at the same time every day. It, it might sound like kind of like, like I'm definitely not running a boot camp here or something like that, but it's just like start exercising your free will, step into a cold shower. There's been, it might be kind of a fad, this cold, cold shower thing is good for your health, whatever, but I think it's good just for discipline. Like s stand yourself in a cold shower for 10 seconds. Because uh, that's part of what discipline is, it's doing the things that you don't want to do. You're not going to be motivated every day right? Discipline is a kind of, it's not a kind of motivation, but it's a kind of thing. It's a law, it's a, it's a long burning motivation, right? It's a thing that gets you to do the things that you don't want to do when you're not motivated to do it, but you know that you have to do. And so that's what, you know, and so there, the parents, to get back to your question, the parents and all, all of them are very, very grateful. When I talk about these sorts of things in the, in, when I was at the high school in the high school and, and with teachers, some of them will, will push back, and I think we have some great conversations, but some of them will like nod their head and agree with me, but then also be like, well, yeah, what can you do, right? And I'm like, no, not what, you, what can you do? Like, you can do, like, let's do something. Let's do, let's do something different. Let's create a new model. Uh, Brian, this podcast is going to be uh, heard by people all around the world. Uh, for people who are not, are not in the Albany area, what kind of things could you possibly offer them if they contacted you? If you're in the Albany area, you can contact me and I can, you know, we, we can even meet. We can have a cup of coffee. I can talk about my experience with my own boys, uh, homeschooling. Uh, we, we can talk about my experience with the Huskies Heroes and in, in public schools. And I've done that before. Um, I actually just did it recently with a 12-year-old boy that was, was struggling in school. And... Uh, and and I I would love to do that actually. Um, if you're if you're not in the, in the immediate area, if you're, you know, not within reasonable driving distance, we could do the same thing, um, online, over the phone, emails. To contact me, you can come to uh, brianhusky.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Brian Husky author. I have a book there. If you if you get in contact with me, I can I can send you a, a copy of the um of the watch of the Kindle version if you like. Yeah, that would be the best way to contact me. Excellent, perfect. Is there uh, is there anything else you would you know you'd like to talk about while you're on the podcast or anything else you'd like to leave our listeners with? I think just that you're the captain of your own ship, like all of us. We have to reevaluate everything. We have to look at things with a critical eye. We have to sort of pull back the veil of, of everything we've been told and experienced and, and, and look and understand that we are all 
you know, trapped inside of this, I guess we're trapped inside of this meat suit. We have, you know, this monkey brain. It's very, it's, it's, it's very difficult sometimes to think, see things as they are instead of seeing things as we'd like them to be. Try to, you know, every day make it a point to pull that back a little bit. Something that the one, number one thing I learned in Iraq, and you could have learned it anywhere, I guess, but in Iraq, I learned that people can die very, very quickly um, with, with relatively small amounts of, I guess, great amounts of force, but cosmically speaking, small amounts of force. And you're not promised another minute on this earth. So, um, you know, get out of your comfort zone a little bit, get out of your fish tank, start, you know, think, think, think for yourself. Don't let other people, you know, don't let other people sail your ship. It's your ship. You sail it. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you for being on the podcast with us today. Thank you.